going to be a great morning today. I'm pretty excited um, because we've been doing this series, Summer of Love, and as we have kicked off these series, I've got you, I've got it, Lori, as you're probably looking for that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a tissue, that, that I can't help you with, sorry. <laughs> I'm sure someone can. Um, so as we've been uh, kicking off this series, Summer of Love, we've been starting each of our Sunday messages with a testimony by someone from the congregation, and I have the great pleasure of welcoming up Lori Mullins this morning. Lori, come on up. Do you want a, do you want a stool or do you want to stand? You're going to stand. Okay, great. Sure, yeah. And this is for you. All right, awesome. Is it on? Oh, there we go. I was going to start out with a funny this morning, but it's funny how God, it is funny how God um, has other plans. And um, I'm not going to talk right away about losing our daughter. And I didn't think I would cry so soon, but once again was so good this morning right after we lost our daughter God brought little Violet into my life I already knew Violet she's such a sweetheart and for that first month before Will and the kids arrived our grandkid and arrived here she would sit every morning next to me and hold my hand and, t- and tell me how sorry she was and this morning, she came up to me right away. She said, I've missed you. She's been gone. And came right up next to me and sat and held my hand through the whole thing and kept leaning her little head over. And I love how Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Because it was such a blessing. And I hope through my testimony, that the story of my life, that you will see that in our brokenness, that God is faithful. And that God is always good. Um, the church gave us this book, and it's called, it says the moon is always round. And even though we can't always see the moon, it's always round. It's always there. And just like God's goodness, even though we might not feel it or see it, he is always there, and he is always good. And I think I've learned more from this book than, um, than my, lo- my little grandchildren, although I can say, what do we know about the moon? And they answer, what do we know about God? And um, so, again, looking back over my life, I just hope that you will see God's faithfulness. I was um, raised in a home with an alcoholic father, and that is where really my brokenness started. And um, I met a man in church and um, was married at a young age. And I had decided to try church, and that's where I met him. And... I was so excited because I thought I was going to have that little white picket fence finally and have the life that I wanted. And it was in that marriage that I had my babies and that in one of my darkest times, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I am so thankful for that. After 23 years and um, his secrets coming to surface, I I walked away from the marriage. And I... um, (laughs) didn't want anything to do with church. I didn't want anything to do with Christianity or anything that represented Christianity. And so um, I went on from there, and (laughs) I met this man who was as broken as I was. And we fell in love, and a year and a half later, we were married. My husband's gone. I was thinking about him this morning, how thankful 
how good God is, even when we don't feel like we deserve it. He brings that goodness into our lives. And so we continued our broken lives together. And I also started drinking. I drank in high school and in college, and um, I started drinking again. And um, I'm just going to put it out there. In AA, there's a saying for people who are alcoholics. One drink is too many, and 20 is not enough. And that was me. And um, anyway, in the midst of that, um, Tom and I and some friends were out listening to a band. And um, the lead singer, I just felt like I connected with her. And so we would talk during the breaks. And of course, it was Danielle, our worship leader. <laughs> and um, I don't know how long after, but I was in that wine tasting room again. And I was by myself drinking. And she just happened to be there meeting a friend. And she walked over to me. And we talked. And she invited me to I-90. And it still took me a while to decide to go. But I did. And I finally felt like I belonged. I felt like I was someplace where I was completely accepted and loved. And I wanted so much just to follow hard after Jesus. And, um, and then my husband started coming. And so God was doing a healing in our lives. And so um, I'm going to do a pray. No, I'm not in meditation. I just lost my place. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I'll just, I'm in meditation. Um, anyway, um, I started going to Bible study, and, uh, but I was still drinking, and it was starting to affect my life. And so it got to the point where um, I, w I really started to fear that I was going to lose everything that I loved. And... I remember the morning of February 14th, 2021, um, getting up the next morning with a terrible hangover and telling my husband, I think I have a drinking problem. And he said, I think you do too, honey. And I, um, I committed from that day with an act of obedience. I wanted to follow hard after Jesus. I knew he loved me no matter what. But I also had a healthy enough fear of God to know that he disciplines those he loves. And if I continued in the pathway I was going, that it could very well not end well for me. So I committed um, that morning. I haven't drank since. It's been two and a half years. Very happy. Um, and I thought truly, for anybody who's ever struggled with alcohol, I thought it would be the hardest thing I would ever go through. Um, I was angry, I was, I just, all the emotions, just the physical also, and, um, and if it weren't for my husband, and I have their permission to share their names, um, Tony and Aaron Strobel, I don't know that I would have gotten through it, uh, but they understood, and they walked through that with me, and then um, my mom not long after, she needed to go into care. And my mom and I have had a really um, rocky relationship. And she didn't want to go into care. It was going to be a battle for her to go into care. And I knew I was the only one that could do it. And I was going to be doing it sober. And that was scary. And so 
walking through that and having quit drinking, um, again, I thought, this is going to be the hardest thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to have some rest now. And then um, a month later, we got the phone call. Can I have a water? Can you get a water? Don't talk. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I'll try to hurry. I feel like I'm taking so long. Um, anyway, we got, we were driving home from East of Washington, and we got the call that no parent ever wants to get. Our son-in-law called and said that our daughter, my 27-year-old baby, had had a severe asthma attack during the night. Oh, thank you. And it led to a heart attack. And that she was on life support. And I just, I'm, how could that be? I just talked with her the night before. She had had a, she had had a hard life too. She had struggles and, and her and I were, had grown so close. And she had committed her life to Jesus at a younger age. And she was, we were praying together and I was encouraging her in the Lord. And it was just, we had helped them buy a little travel trailer. They were moving to Texas for his job. And she, her last text to me was, Mom, I'm so happy in pictures of our grandbaby. How could this be? How could this happen? And so we called Trey, called people to be praying because she was on life support. And, and it wasn't long after that that she passed away. And I just remember everything being such a blur, you know, just getting to Arizona where they lived. And, um, and once we were in Arizona, I had just a moment to breathe. And I remember thinking, I have a choice to make. I can either choose to follow God or I can choose to walk away. And I didn't, all I felt was pain. And, but I knew it's like, Peter, where would we go, Lord? Who else holds, has the truth? And I, I knew I couldn't walk away. And I also knew that if I walked away, just like if I had returned to drinking, I would have groundwork to make up for because people would be watching me. And I didn't think of that in a negative way. I just thought, I'm, I'm a walking testimony. And, um, and I didn't do it perfectly. I, I have been angry. I have been all sorts of things. But I knew that morning that I needed to follow God. And that was the choice I was making. And, um, and so we got through all of um, planning the service. And, and Will, our son-in-law and our grandchildren, he had decided to move back home to Washington. And so they brought their little travel trailer and lived in our um, park for, um, next to our house for 10 months. And um, I was so excited. It's... I'll be honest, it's so much easier being a long-distance grandma. So much easier. Um, I had started um, leading a small women's Bible study here, and I'll be honest, I thought I knew everything. I really wanted to encourage these young moms on how to do it. And um, I found out really quickly, I know nothing. I know nothing. I have learned so much from the, the moms here at church. Molly, I just have to share one little story about it really is okay if you know if you're going to have a busy morning to dress your kids in the clothes they're going to wear that night and put them to bed. <laughs> that was like eye-opening to me, and they don't need a bath every single night. It's like, okay. Um, but I just, and these are the good things that have come out of this. I, um, 
I would never ask to go through this. I still have a t hard time during worship because I know my daughter's in heaven with Jesus, and I'm here, and there's this thin veil that separates us. And I want, I want to be with her again. I want to hold her. I want to hug her. I know one day that I'll be there, and one day I, I'll know in full. But just knowing that God is faithful and that he is good no matter what, whether we can feel it or not, he is good, and obedience is so much better than walking away from the Lord. And just a couple other things. Um, Will and the kids were with us for 10 months, and it was, it was such a blessing, and it was really hard. And then they moved to Arlington, and that was really hard. I felt like I had lost my daughter all over again, and I don't see them as often as I would like, but they sure are a lot closer than Arizona. And to watch our son-in-law and the person he was when he arrived here and to watch the person he is now he sends me texts that are so filled with godly wisdom, and I'm just so thankful that for that. I've had the opportunity to teach my grandchildren about Jesus and them wanting to pray, and they want them wanting to be him to be their savior. And I think the last thing is just Skyler. We had him last weekend, and he um, we're, we're reading a children's version of the Pilgrim's Progress whenever he's here. And so we had just read about another bad decision one of the children had made and, and um, how um, grace and strength and, um, came to rescue him. And, and I was telling him how that, um, that that's what gets us through the hard times. And he looked at me and he said, just like losing mama. And I said, yes, just like losing mama. I said, and you can always know that we can cry together and we can laugh because Anna had a really um, interesting sense of humor. And so being able to share those stories and, um, and just um, the goodness that has come from it. I, I, I want to read <laughs> really quick the, um, the psalm that has really stuck with me over the last several months. My husband and I did start going to grief counseling to, um, to just to continue navigating through this. And he gave me this and asked me to meditate on it. And really, it is, it is my go-to all the time now. It's Psalm 23, one that most of us have heard and read, and, and it has become my heart song. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I used to think of enemies as people. I don't anymore. I think of them as discouragement, anger, um, all those feelings that attack me. Uh, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table. Oh, oh, we read that part. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Certainly goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life, and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. The end. <laughs>
it's all right. That's all right. That's that's yeah. That's that's all. That's what the Kleenex are for. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Be great. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. All good. Well, that's awesome. Um, you know, I haven't been pastor here for that long, but I've I've been you know walking with Lori three with that for a while, and just to see what God's been doing in the middle of a really difficult time is is amazing. Um, and we were. I got together with Lori on uh, earlier this week, just talking about this, and um, it's. It, it, I think there's there's some um, to think of this testimony as a testimony of God's faithfulness is hard, because of course, how tragic it is to go through loss like how tragedy it, it is it is it to go to have all this stuff like in, in in Lori's past but God has been faithful when God's faithful it doesn't mean that bad things never happen it means that he is always right there with us he's always uh present in the midst of it and I've just seen that over and over again and I've seen um Lori pressing into that so praise God for his faithfulness and praise God for bringing you I mean for just being with you. So thank you, Lori. Thank you for that, uh, that testimony, that living testimony to all of us here, because um, that's what we do. We live life together, not for the sake of show, but for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of the, the mutual encouragement that we, can, that we can give one another. And I thought that was really great what you said, Lori. Lori like at some point, you just had to make the choice. You didn't want to go back. And I think on, on the other day, you had said like, you could have, and God would still love you, but you wouldn't be, you wouldn't benefit, no one would benefit from it, to go back to drinking, to go back and try to face this leaning on those things, but instead you learn to lean on the Lord. Like that is, that is the, the calling that we have. I love that. <sighs> What's well, a tough act to follow? But we'll, so we'll just have some scripture, right? We're going to go into talking about God's word here for a second. Um, like, we've been thinking through this series called A Summer of Love, and the idea is that we're taking the summer, we're talking about love, right? Really thoughtful, really thoughtful uh, series title, I think. Um, and we've been asking the question, especially the last couple weeks, uh, how do we love God? Because we, we began by just, just knowing that God loves us. Like, that is the, the fundamental message that is communicated on the cross. God is, is a God of love. He is demonstrating his love. By sending Christ Jesus, by, by dying for our sake, by inviting us into his life as we, we put our, our trust and our faith into him. And as we, we turn from our sin and put on his, this, his new life that he offers. We have this great invitation uh, founded upon God's love, founded upon what he's done. And there is a response, right? Because we're, we're called to love God. So the question is, how do we develop love for God? And in the last couple of weeks we've been going through, we've gotten to two answers, and today we're going to have a third, kind of the shape of what does it look like for us to love God. The, the, the first thing we looked at uh, two weeks ago is that we, love, uh, we are able to love God, and we are able to develop love for God because God has put his Holy Spirit within us, and he's just doing something internally. So the scripture tells us in Romans 5 that he, the Holy Spirit is pouring out the love of God into our hearts. There is something going on because of the work of the Holy Spirit within us that is, is developing love for us, uh, lo <laughs> developing our love for God. So it's like you don't have to, 
like, this is a relief because you don't have to just like um, sit here and think that you just have to drum up love for God. But the Lord is like putting that love within you. Now, I will say it's not all passive. It's not all passive because as we talked about last week, there are things that we can do. There are things that we can do to love the Lord and to grow in our love for the Lord. And I, I loved that um, Lori talked about it this morning because we talked about last week. Obedience. Obedience is a major way in which we live a life of love to God. And we grow in our love for God the more we obey. And, and I, I, obedience is kind of one of these words I think it's pretty, pretty rough in our culture right now, right? Because we think, oh, obedience, that's like coercive and that's like... Uh, oppressive, and somebody wants me to obey them. Boy, they, do they have my interests in mind? And, and, and the reality is, is that Jesus Christ has our best interests in mind. He has made it so that we can safely obey him, and it is for our good. And, and so in the middle of difficulty, and in the middle of when you have a temptation, saying, am I going to go back to drinking? Am I going to rely on things that I know aren't healthy for them? We can safely obey Jesus in the middle of those things and find that on the other side, we've actually grown in love for God because he's proved himself faithful over and over again. So we can participate in this growing our love for God by actually seeking to make real our obedience to him. When we come to the middle of temptations, and temptations are coming to us in a lot of forms, but when we come into the middle of temptations, we choose to obey God. We choose to trust what he's revealed is, is true is true, and we act on it. So that is like, so, so we love God, and we talked about last week, we love God through uh, obeying him as well. But here's the thing. Um... God is always working uh, in the background through the Spirit, right? He's kind of working passively in me. He's, he's putting love in me. And uh, he's, uh, during the normal course of my life, though, I, 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 I'm sorry, he's, sorry, I apologize. You know what? Where'd my water go? Never mind. <laughs> I threw it away somewhere. So look, he's pouring out love in me. I am growing in my love by choosing to obey but the normal course of my life, I don't know about your life, but in the normal course of my life, I am not constantly facing temptations. In fact, I would say 99% of my life is really boring and does not involve really complex moral decision-making. Most of my choices are like, should I eat Cheerios or Life cereal for breakfast? You know, or uh, should I put gas in my car since I'm driving near Costco? Right? That's, that is a tough one. Right? That's a big decision. You're like... I'm gonna save like eight dollars. Um, like those are the, but those are not those are not. I think unless you <laughs> maybe they are moral decisions for you. To me, these are not moral decisions. They are decisions in which I'm totally free to do anything. In which I don't think Jesus has a strong opinion about Costco gas versus Safeway gas, right? Because the the issue is that 99% of my life is not temptations. It's not choosing obedience when, when things get difficult. Most of my life, and I think you'd probably say it's true of yours, most of my life is just, just normal life where I don't have to make moral decisions. But here's the thing. like I want to grow in love for God, and I, and I know you guys want that too because I'm insisting that you do. And I think that you do. Like We all want to grow in love for God. But, and so 
here's the thing. If it's just like something that he's doing in me or, or it's happening in this 1% of the time, like what do I do with the rest of the 99% of the time? And, and my, my point this morning, and really the only point that I want to make, is that you can do something. You can develop love for God with the rest of your time. In those times of your life where you aren't making complex ethical decisions that involve obedience, you can make use of the 99% of your life that's just your normal life, and you can grow in God in the uh, grow in love for God in the middle of that. Okay, so that's the point I'm going to make at the end. But before we get there, I just want to talk about the gospel for a second. All right, gospel is is the biblical word for good news. It's the news about what Jesus has done. Um, I was able to talk on Wednesday to the youth group um, and shared a little bit with them about the gospel. And I honestly just want to kind of recap some of what, what, I, what I said to them because I think it's really important. And it's been kind of where my mind has lived all week. Um, and, and the one big point that I, that I made to the youth group was this. The gospel is not a contract. It's a covenant. I want to explain that this morning. The gospel is not a contract, it's a covenant. Um, I have a little, a little picture, a little graphic that I made in the next slide there. Um, okay. Here's, I think, what we, what we think the gospel involves. Okay? And I would say this is more contractual than covenantal. First of all, we, we understand who God is. God, I put the king graphic. I, don't, I have a very limited number of, of, of you know, uh, stamps or graphics, so I, I chose the crown because that seemed appropriate for God. God's, you know, he's in charge, right? So God exists. He's called and commissioned us. We sort of understand that fundamental in relationship, that God is doing something. He's, he's working in the world, and, and he has a desire for us, right? He's got a calling on our lives, right? And this was definitely true of, of ancient Israel, right? Ancient Israel, they were called by God to be as people. They were commissioned. Commissioned, they were given a purpose. Um, and they were called to respond, right? Men and women called out, called and commissioned. And, and, and their response was to be love and obedience back to God. That is fundamentally, I think, the contract that Israel had with God. Now, I would say a, a, a contract in, in this sense is just, is just really, really basic, right? God is a party to this contract. He's promised some things. He's promised to love them. He's promised to watch over them. And so he's called and commissioned them, and he calls and commissions us to be his people. And he's going to promise to love and care for his people. But he has expectations in return that we would love and obey him. That's, a, that's contractual, right? I mean, I, I, I have a, 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 if you have a car lease, I've never leased a car. I've always bought just clunkers. That's my style. But probably you have bought a car lease, right? And you've gone into the car lease place and, and you sign a contract with them. They provide you a car and you provide them $350 a month or whatever, right? That's a contract. They give you something, you have obligations coming back. That is, that is the nature of a contract. The problem that Israel experienced, and I think it's the problem that we would experience where we called in the same sort of contract or arrangement that Israel had, is that they understood 
that God was faithful. And God revealed himself all over the place to Israel. He was always trying to make a way for them to be faithful. But the problem that they had is that they were continually unfaithful. They were called to love and obey. But something about them just wasn't capable, it seemed, of loving and obeying, of giving God the honor and reverence and respect and obedience and love that he was due. And this is the fundamental problem that Jesus walks into the world. He walks into the world and he says, look, even in Israel, where these people have learned so much about God and God has gone so much out of his way to tell them what he expects and to make it possible for them to to be obedient, even in Israel, they can't obey. They don't love. There's an issue going on. The contract is broken, and it seems to be perpetually broken. But the gospel of Jesus Christ steps into this dynamic where people are not able, capable of fulfilling their love and obedience obligations to God. And it, it, is, it aims to fix the problem. Jesus Christ aims to fix this problem. And God talked about it in the Old Testament. He was always talking about a time when he was going to come and solve this thing, solve the problem of faithfulness, because the people were not faithful. They weren't able to love. They weren't able to obey. Despite their best efforts, they could not do it. And God talks about this all the time. One example is Jeremiah 31, 31. Like, it's a great verse to have memorized. And it kind of helps piece together what God is doing, right? Because he's talking to the, the Old Testament people. He's talking to Israel, and he's telling them, look, I'm going to fix this. So get your eyes on the solution. He says this, look, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will forgive their iniquity and I will never remember their sin. See, what God is telling before Jesus comes is is that there's going to be a day when this contractual challenge is fixed, where I'm going to deal with the heart problem of people I'm going to put my teaching within them. I'm going to write it on their hearts. I'm going to be their God truly, and they will truly be my people. And it's going to happen as I forgive them, as I forgive and I make a way. God has always recognized the issue. We can't love and obey him, and so he is in the gospel making, providing a solution for this. Uh, another, another Old Testament verse, Ezekiel 36 says this, and, and this is, I am taking this a little out of context. I I just think it's only fair that I tell you this, that in the immediate context, God is talking about something unique to Israel's story. I think if we read scripture, it's very clear that, uh, and we'll get there in a second, that this week we can apply this to to what we have in Jesus Christ, okay? So again, I I just feel like it'd be pastoral malpractice if I told you this promise was for you. First and foremost, it's not, okay? All right, does that make sense? I'm sorry to to do that stuff. This was for Israel first, but I think it also applies to us as as Jesus will make clear in just a minute here. He says this, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. See, from the get-go, 
God recognizes that the calling and commissioning that he has is disrupted by the prob- a problem with Israel and the problem with people, and that's that their hearts. Their hearts are, are not able. They're not able to love him the way he's called to. And so he says, God says, I am going to solve this problem entirely on my own. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to follow my statutes. I will cause you to carefully observe my ordinances. God has a promise. And how does God accomplish this promise? He, he, he establishes this new covenant. He sends Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes this possible. In a little bit, we're going to be doing some communion here. But in, in Matthew, as the disciples are gathered together right before uh, Jesus is crucified, Jesus takes bread and wine, and he basically says, hey, look, I am the one who's going to be the provision. He says this, Matthew 26, 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it and broke it, he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. He said, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What Jesus does, and he makes super clear, right before he goes to the cross, he says, I'm about to do something that is the fulfillment of these promises of God. This is my blood poured out. It's the blood of the covenant. It is this provision of God to give you a new heart and a new spirit to take away sins, to make it so that you can actually fulfill your part of the contract so that you can actually deal with the issue of sin and unwillingness and a lack of obedience and a lack of love what jesus says is i'm going to solve this contractual issue by establishing a new covenant and those that are are forgiven who trust in me who who put their hope in me They are going to be sealed by my spirit. The very spirit of God is going to come into them and enable them and bring life to them and renew them and restore them. And those who have been forgiven through through trusting in Jesus, putting their sin on the cross with him, counting it dead and receiving new life in him, they are going to find that now all that they need to obey and to love God is actually being supplied for them. That's the difference between a contract and a covenant. In a contract, I get something and then I owe something. In a covenant, I get something and then God provides me the very thing that I owe back to him. That's like me going into to the loan officer and getting the car. They give me a car, and they say, we're having a special today. It's, it's the covenant special. Um, so you're going to get this car, and then you're going to owe us $300, but we're going to pay for the $300 every single month. And you say, that's a really good deal. That's a, that, is much, that is a much better deal than I was expecting, right? Literally, they're putting the down payment. They're paying the payment for you. Literally, everything that I owe them is already being supplied, and that's what Jesus does. He gives us a new heart. He puts his spirit within us. He gives us all the things that we would need to actually be able to follow through on, this, on, this, on our bargain, which is to love and obey. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Do you get it? When you trust in him, you're made new. 
capable to do the things that you couldn't do on your own. I don't know how to love God on my own. I can't do it. My heart is not able. My spirit is not able. I cannot on my own love God. I need him to renew me. So anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. This is the, the, the what's going on in, in Jesus is like so much bigger. It's not just, oh, God is really nice. He's proved his love for us. He's also renewed us and made it possible for us to love and to obey. The gospel isn't a contract, it is a covenant. Jesus calls and commissions us. He adopts us into his family by faith as we, as we trust in him. And he does, he calls us to love and obey, but he supplies the resources that we need to keep our side of the covenant. And we're actually called to do it, but we're called to do it drawing upon his spirit, drawing upon his life, drawing upon his grace. And he's going to guarantee this covenant. He's going to be faithful even as we fail. Because he's going to, he is dedicated to teaching us to walk in this new life. A verse that is phenomenally encouraging to me is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is it. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So on one level, yes, we have obligations to God. We are called to obey and to love him. And the Christian life can't happen. It can't advance unless we are committed to that unless we are committed to developing love and obedience, which are kind of two sides of the same coin. We need to care about obeying God. We need to care about loving God. But we have to understand that the only way that this works is if we draw on what he's done in our lives. If we learn to entrust and, and draw from the power of the Spirit in our lives, because I don't have it in me to obey with my old broken heart. I only have it in me to obey when I trust in what Jesus has done. And I just am like learning to draw from his resources. And the gospel is such good news. The new covenant is such good news. I'm not called or asked to do anything that I am unable to do. I am, in fact, provided all the ability that I need. I simply have to trust in it, tap into it, make use of what God has done. It's such good news. <laughs> so to bring it full circle, just, just like squaring it up here, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, we've been given a new heart. I think I've got a, a little graphic kind of showing, I think, what's really going on here, right? Jesus dies. He forgives our sins. We are called and commissioned, but he also makes sure that we know that we are loved, we're forgiven, we're accepted on the basis of his work, on the basis of his kindness, we can trust in him. And we are also receiving, we are being made new. We're given a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. The Bible uses a lot of different ways to talk about this new creation that's happened as a result of the spirit coming into our life. We're, we're regenerate is a theological word for it. 
We're made new. We have life that we didn't have before because we trust in Jesus Christ and his spirit is is working us. And then we are capable of loving and obeying, but from this renewed self. He makes it possible. He is the one who provides the resources to do of what we cannot do on our own. He's given us the resources we need to be in a love relationship with him. So what about, bringing it back, what about the 99% of your life? What about the rest of your life? Because again, I experience my life mostly as fairly boring. I live a very, a fairly boring suburban life. Um, and that's okay. Most of my life does not, I don't feel like I'm making morally significant decisions. So what do you do when you're not really needing to obey because you're just, you're at your job and you're doing your job, you're laying tile or you're, I don't, you know, you're doing whatever you are, you're a police officer, right? You're just, you're just doing the stuff, probably filling out a lot of paperwork, right? <laughs> paperwork is not morally significant. Thank you, Jesus. I guess you have to be honest. If you're wildly tempted to lie on your paperwork, then you need to make an obedience decision. <laughs> I'm sure that doesn't happen. Okay, so um, what do we do with the 99% of our life, and how do we love God with the rest of our life? Um, Here's the thing. I think the first thing we have to do is if we're going to really develop love for God, we have to start thinking of the 99% differently. We have to start thinking of the boring stuff in our life differently. We have to understand that because we are in a covenant with God, Our life is not what it appears. We are a new creation. Our life is new. The 99% of our day that just feels like like filler space, seems inconsequential to our life with God, is significant. Because actually, we have this relationship with, with Jesus. And now, we are called to just live it out. So we have to think of our life in, in a different sort of way. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying that you need to think of every moment of your life as having serious moral significance, as if you should wake up in the morning and think about what you're going to have for breakfast and think, I don't want to make the wrong choice, because that would be a terrible way to live. (laughs) I'm not saying that we need to think about the boring stuff in our life and just, like, stress about all the decisions that we have to make. But what I am saying is this, and I, this is like honestly like the single point I'm trying to make this morning. The, the boring stuff in your life can contribute to your love for God by letting that, and, and you, can do that, you can do that by just letting the normal circumstances of your, of your life become a, an occasion to train yourself to draw on love, God's love and grace and power. Here's what I mean by this. I'm going to give you a little bit of scripture. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says this. Take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness, in impurity of the truth. I used to think... That this, I, that this verse would come into play when I was tempted, right? And so, okay, I'm being tempted in whatever situation. Say I want to steal some money. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't come up that much. No one has cash anymore anyway, right? You, know, you can't steal anything. Come on, unless you're a computer guy, and I'm not. 
Uh, let's think. What, what's the, what's the t- that, um, I don't even know. My life is this boring. <laughs> um, so, you so, see, so like, you're in the middle of, of, of some temptation, and I think, okay, what I need to do in this moment of temptation is I need to, to put on, take off the old self, and I need to put on the new self right here, right now. And, and my point is, is it's just really basic. I actually need to spend the time when I'm not tempted, when I'm not in the middle of a crisis moment that is requiring me to make the right choice. I need to spend time before that putting off the old self and putting on the new self. The, the, the thing that we're called to is not the just-in-time inventory strategy of sanctification, right? Just-in-time in- inventory is like, you know, the way we do things now. It's like, oh, we're, we're almost out of something. We better order it so we have it in time so that we just can restock ourselves with the power of the Spirit so that in a moment of temptation, I have it. No, what we're called to do is take the boring stuff of our life, the boring moments of our life, and be investing that stuff into a life with God. So that I'm not just like thinking of, of my life as, 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 as going to succeed when I like draw upon my willpower or, or, I'm, or I'm tougher, but I actually find this crazy thing about the, about the spiritual life. I become a really happy and joyful Christian who's able to obey in difficult times when I have already done the work previously to a moment of temptation to just be loving God, to pay attention to him. Lori, like, went through a crazy difficult time, three years of of chaos, and she didn't just decide, in this moment I'm going to be strong. She was drawing from a previous investment in becoming a person who had learned to draw from the resources of God. Because if she, at that moment, just wanted to flip a switch, I'm going to be strong in the Lord right now, it's, it's already too late. I'm not saying God can't and won't show up in those moments. But plan A is that we are taking and coming into, into our lives and treating them before that as times when we are taking off the old self and putting on the new self. And this is not just something you need to pull out of your back pocket in the middle of temptation. If you want to love God, then make this your life strategy for the 99%. That's my one point. Put on the new self. Take off the old self. Learn and teach yourself to live by the grace and kindness and resources of God. Live by the gospel when you don't have to. Because it's a good way to live. It's not a big idea. It's actually a really simple truth. All I'm saying is that if you're going to actually love and obey God, then you need to prepare yourself and spend time in in the boring times, like investing in that relationship. If you want to love God, practice loving him right now before things are difficult. Become the sort of person who loves and obeys in little things and in big things. Invest in this relationship and develop simply the habits and practices of love, even when they don't seem to matter even in morally inconsequential moments. So spend your life and learn to live your life in the presence of God. If you want to love God when the stakes are high, start loving him when the stakes are low. I'll say it again, because I think that's 
puts a pin in it. If you want to love God when the stakes are high, start loving him when the stakes are low. That's just the invitation we have. And I, I think this is really, really difficult. Um, but it's just really, it's really what Jesus teaches. See, Jesus teaches salvation, that we need to trust him. And he reveals the gospel. He makes all that clear. But he taught his disciples to live life a certain way. And if I were really to just say, put, try to put a pin on what is the ethic that Jesus teaches his disciples, it's that they're to live as people who are present to God, who are available to God, listening to him in the, in the day-to-day stuff, the stuff that the Pharisees think don't, doesn't matter. He's, saying, he's telling them, no, you, you, you pray, you fast, you seek the Lord. You, you, you spend the normal time of your life just being present with him. Um, Jonathan Pennington, a professor at uh, yeah, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, says this, and I, and I think he, he, he says it really well. He says, Christian philosophy, which I mean, just, just means Christian spirituality, understands the complex relationship between our minds, bodies, actions, and emotions. The Old and the New Testament teach people to act in certain ways, knowing that cognitive and volitional choices not only reflect our emotions, but also affect and educate them. As we engage in certain practices, both individually and corporately, they shape and form us. We are commanded to do things that include and are motivated by particular emotions because there is a place for duty on the way to virtue. We educate our emotions through action, eventually finding wholeness of body and soul. And what he's explaining is, is really just something that Christians have known for a long time, and I think, honestly, we've sort of recently forgotten it in the church, is that we're called to live life lives of, of discipleship, to take on meaningful habits and practices of devotion to Jesus, because these things will develop love for God within us. And sometimes we do them dutifully, and sometimes we do them motivated by love for God, but we're called to do both. It's hard for me to think of the 99% of my life, the life that just seems, part of my life just seems kind of boring, and to approach it prayerfully. And to think, how, how do, as I'm driving my kids to school, how do I put on the new man in this moment? Because I think, I just need to get them there alive, right? And maybe on time. <laughs> that would probably be good too. So, 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 but if I take those moments and I start to think of them as actually meaningful times where I can be developing like a, a new mind, a new spirit, learning to draw upon what God has provided, learning to live in the place where I'm habitually turning to his strength, when it doesn't seem to matter, well, my life actually kind of opens up to me at that point. And I actually kind of realize that I have so much ability to shape my heart and my loves, and my thinking that I probably wouldn't have even thought of had I not decided to be a, a disciple. And look, we've, I, I've talked about this, you know, we got this sign out front there, these, these kind of six habits of, of becoming an everyday disciple, and I, I'm going to keep talking about them till it annoys you. So hopefully you're feeling a little annoyed, but not that annoyed yet, but I'm just going to keep going until we cross that line of annoyance. Um, and, you know, like those are, those are discipleship habits that I'd love for us to start practicing. If you haven't been in trying those out, like, could you try them out? And one in particular is on there. It's the fifth one. It's meet with God every single day. That's the most important one. 
That's what, what, even when I presented it, I made it much bigger than all the other ones. If you want to take a first step in investing in becoming the new self, like, like because the, 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 the heart that God's already given you to start living from that and living according to that spirit that he's put within you because of the gospel of grace, then you start to meet with God every day. And you might say, well, who has the time? And the answer is you do. You really do. <laughs> You've got to make the time. And you might say, well, maybe I'll make the time when I love God more. Look it. That's just a no-win situation. <laughs> make the time now, and here's, here's what I promise you. Within three months, you'll, you'll want to, even if you don't want to right now. That's like habits are formative of our desires and our emotions. And what you'll find is that you'll enjoy meeting with God. And, and by meeting with God, I just mean praying, reading scripture, maybe singing some songs if you're into that. Any of the combination of those th three things, you're safe to do, but probably taking at least 15 minutes a day, sitting down with God, praying, talking to him, <laughs> reading some scripture, singing some songs, spending some time in his presence, and what you'll find is what God will teach you in those moments is how to live this life of joy and this life of peace and this life of having an, the old self put off, the old heart which can't obey and love God put off, and, and putting on the new self which Jesus has given to you as your inheritance because you're children of God. But we do this simple thing, these simple acts of obedience and discipleship in order to develop love. And so that's it. If you want to love when the stakes are high, start loving when the stakes are low. If you want to find that when things get difficult, man, you just run to God and you know how to rely on him, then you need to start relying on him in your day-to-day -day stuff that doesn't really matter that much. I've said that about eight times. Do you get it? It's okay. I want to keep saying it. Because if we don't step into that, this thing doesn't work. If we don't become people who are learning in our day-to-day -day lives how to trust God, then we're just kind of, we're really working plan B when we've been given plan A. We're called to be filled with the Spirit. And that doesn't have to be weird. It's just the simple thing of living a life with Jesus, talking to him, trusting him. Bringing your, your concerns and your cares, even about things that feel trivial to talk to God about. So that you can learn to cast all your cares upon him. To, to put your anxieties down. To put your trust in him. We learn that in the habits that we form. Worship team's going to come up here, and we're actually going to do this, uh, another thing that Jesus commands us to do. Uh, this a habit that Jesus commands us to do. We're going to take some time, and we're going to celebrate communion together, right? And it's funny. I mean, it's, it's like a really good example of what I'm talking about. They were just going to eat. They were just up there to eat. They wanted some bread. They wanted some wine. They probably had some lamb. I don't know what Jews at that time ate. We're going to eat some stuff. And Jesus said, hey, I've got this idea. <laughs> I've got this idea. Let's take this normal 99% of life, right? Let's take this normal 99% of life where we're just eating and drinking, and let's do it in remembrance. 
let's take this time to think about what God is doing. Sending his son to die on your, on, on your behalf and to give you new life. He's teaching them habits. He, he's showing them what it is to live as, as disciples, to live as people who are taking the normal stuff of life and contextualizing, putting them in the context of God's work. If you want to love God more, then start to meet with him, start to spend time with him. It's, it's scandalously simple. That's the thing. And we think, oh, I can, get, I, I can hack that. But you can't. You can't. The only way that we start to mature in Christ, the only way we start to live from this new person is by relationship, by developing the relationship. So that's my encouragement to you guys. Um, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to do this awkward thing, right, of turning this microphone off. And bring it back to your seat, and we will uh, take communion together here in just a moment.